Hey y'all, hey! Welcome to the Seek Joy Sister Podcast, where I talk about all things scripture and Jesus. So in today's episode, we are going to finish the book Hebrews, starting with chapter 7 and ending with chapter 13. So go ahead, grab your cup of coffee or whatever you enjoy drinking. Let's pretend like we're sitting right across from each other and let's get started. All right, y'all, let's talk all the highlighted verses that I have in Hebrews chapter 7 through 13, along with the commentaries that go with these verses in my Bible. All right, starting with Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely, talking about Jesus, those who come to God through him, because he always loves to intercede for them. The commentary, as our high priest, Christ is our advocate, the mediator between us and God. He looks after our interests and intercedes for us with God. The Old Testament high priest went before God once a year to plead for the forgiveness of the nation's sins. Christ makes perpetual intercessions before God for us. Christ's continuous presence in heaven with the Father assures us that our sins have been paid for and forgiven. This wonderful assurance frees us from guilt and from fear of failure. Now let's talk Hebrews 8, 9 through 12. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The commentary regarding these verses. This passage is a quotation of Jeremiah 31, 31 31-34, which compares the new covenant with the old. The old covenant was the covenant of law between God and Israel. The new and better way is the covenant of grace. Christ is offered to forgive our sins and bring us to God through his sacrificial death. This covenant is new in extent. It goes beyond Israel and Judah to include all Gentile nations. It is new in application because it is written on our hearts and in our minds. It offers a new way to forgiveness, not through animal sacrifice, but through faith. 
Have you entered in this new covenant and begun walking in the better way? If our hearts are not changed, following God's rules will be unpleasant and difficult. We will rebel against being told how to live. The Holy Spirit, however, gives us new desires, helping us want to obey God. With new hearts, we find that serving God is our greatest joy. Under God's new covenant, God's law is inside of us. It is no longer an external set of rules and principles. The Holy Spirit reminds us of Christ's words, activates our consciousness, influences our motives and desires, and makes us want to obey. Now, doing God's will is something we desire with all our hearts and minds. Now we are going to jump to Hebrews 10, 19 through 27. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. That was good. All right, let us talk about the commentaries for those verses. The most holy place in the temple was sealed from view by a curtain. Okay, you can find that in Hebrews 10.20. Only the high priest could enter this holy room, and he did so only once a year on the Day of Atonement when he offered the sacrifice for the nation's sins. But Jesus' death removed that curtain. And all believers may walk into God's presence at any time. We have significant privileges associated with our new life in Christ. One, we have personal access to God through Christ and can draw near to him without an elaborate system. We can go to him at any given moment. 
Two, we may grow in faith, overcome doubts and questions, and deepen our relationship with God. Three, we may enjoy encouragement from one another. And four, we may worship together. And then in 1025, where it says, let us not give up meeting together, the commentary for that is to neglect Christian meetings is to give up the encouragement and help of other Christians. We gather together to share our faith and to strengthen one another in the Lord. As we get closer to the day when Christ will return, we will face many spiritual struggles and even times of persecution. Anti-Christian forces will grow in strength. Difficulties should never be excuses for missing church services. Rather, as difficulties arise, we should make an even greater effort to be faithful in attendance. And not, now this is me speaking, it's not just Sunday mornings, you know, that we should commit to and be faithful to. We should also commit to doing what we can to gather with other believers outside of church, you know, inviting them into our lives, making an effort to reach out to them, to attend Bible studies, whether it's in person or online, or, you know, texting another believer and talking scripture with them, or calling them once a week, or um, even following like Christians on social media and that way your feed is consumed by faithful encouragement you know like all of these things are showing that we care to be fed with the truth and that we care to water our faith all of these things are not going to make us perfect all of these things are not going you know to get us into heaven However, it will guide us towards Jesus. It will guide us towards doing what we can so we can get into heaven. These are the things that will help us in our difficulties. You know, I created a quote on my Instagram page like a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago. And it was talking about... You know, in your difficulties, instead of drawing, instead of distancing yourself away from God, you should be running towards Him. I think sometimes, me included, I have been there. And honestly, I created that quote to remind myself. Um, But sometimes I think that when we are facing hardships, when we are facing those like hard challenges that seem almost impossible to overcome, you know, instead of running towards God with everything we have, we run away from him because we blame him or because we're upset that we're facing any hardship at all. And so instead of facing the reality of it, or instead of allowing him to walk us through the journey you know, we turn our backs on him. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, 
personally, I have learned one too many times that when I turn my back on God, when I walk away from Him and decide to do life alone or go through whatever I'm going through alone, it makes it 10 times harder. It makes it so much harder to walk through the situation that I'm in because I feel like I've lost hope and I'm weak and I feel alone. So instead of going through that by myself, I cling to God because even though I'm walking through a storm, I still have hope. And with God, I have the strength that I need to get through the storm. So friends, do not give up on meeting together to be encouraged by other believers. And do not give up on meeting with God. Okay, let's talk Hebrews 10, 30 through 31. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the commentary for 1031, this judgment is for those who have rejected God's mercy, for those who accept Christ's love and accept his salvation. The coming judgment is no cause for worry. Being saved through his grace, they have nothing to fear. All right, now Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. So this is talking about faith. And if you want to go in more depth, because truly like all of Hebrews 11 talks about faith, go read it. Go read that entire chapter. But for now, I'm just going to go over the highlighted verses, which is Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and then Hebrews 11, 6. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hebrews eleven three, By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. All right, the commentaries for those two verses. Do you remember how you felt when you were very young and your birthday approached? You were excited and anxious. You knew you would certainly receive gifts and other special treats, but some things would be a surprise. Birthdays combine assurance and anticipation, and so does faith. Faith is the conviction based on past experience that God's new and fresh surprises will surely be ours. Two words describe faith, sure and certain. These two qualities need a secure beginning and ending point. 
The beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. He is who he says. The end point is believing in God's promises. He will do what he says. When we believe that God will fulfill his promises, even though we don't see those promises materializing yet, we demonstrate true faith. God called the universe into existence out of nothing. He declared that it was to be and it was. Our faith is in the God who created the entire universe by his word. God's word has awesome power when he speaks. Do you listen and respond? How can you better prepare yourself to respond to God's word? For me, I mean, I have to be honest, even now, through my journey of reading through the Bible every year and drawing closer and closer to God and, you know, making Him a priority, even now, I still have a hard time truly listening to what God tells me and responding, you know, responding through obedience. Sometimes it's like, I know what he says, like in my heart, I know it without a doubt and I respond, but then it's like, do I continue to live that out? Like, do I respond one day because I am like, you know, feeling super, super strong in my faith. And then the next day, like either I didn't sleep good and I'm really tired or something went wrong and my faith was shattered. And then it's like, I don't give it my all, you know, where one day I'm one foot in the next day I'm one foot out. Like I can't continue doing that. And so for for me, I continue to seek out his word and continue to seek God because that strengthens my faith. And when I am wrapped up in his presence, when I've done what I could to water my faith, those are the days that I feel the strongest in my faith. So that is how I prepare myself to respond to his word. So when something goes wrong, instead of, you know, walking away from him and giving up on my time with him or just huffing and puffing and refusing to, you know, do anything holy, I do the complete opposite of that because I refuse to let the enemy win. So in distress, I crank up my worship music. In distress, I seek to pray. In my distress, I find time to read the word. And if I can't read the word, like, you know, in that moment, because I'm at work or I'm busy with my kids or whatever it may be, I pray. I pray in my head if I can't go somewhere quietly. And I'm always around, you know, some type of device to where I can listen to music and some days I just crank that worship music up you know I do things to 
feed my faith so I can stand up firm in my faith. Okay, Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The commentary for that. Sometimes we wonder about the fate of those who haven't heard of Christ and have not even had a Bible to read. God assures us that all who honestly seek him, who act in faith on the knowledge of God that they possess, will be rewarded. When you tell others the gospel, encourage them to be honest and diligent in their search for truth. Those who hear the gospel are responsible for what they have heard. Hebrews eleven thirty nine through 40. These were all commanded for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The commentary. Hebrews 11 has been called Face Hall of Fame. No doubt the author surprised his readers by this conclusion. These mighty Jewish heroes did not receive God's total reward because they died before Christ came. In God's plan, they and the Christian believers who were also enduring much testing would be rewarded together. Once again, Hebrews shows that Christianity offers a better way than Judaism. Now let's talk Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined 
and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our father disciplines us for a little while as they though as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Okay, let's talk commentaries for all those verses. This great cloud of witness, so highlighting 12.1, is composed of the people described in chapter 11. Their faithfulness is a constant encouragement to us. We do not struggle alone, and we are not the first to struggle with the problems we face. Others have run the race and won, and their witness stirs us to run and win also. What an inspiring heritage we have. The Christian life involves hard work. It requires us to give up whatever endangers our relationship with God, to run patiently and to struggle against sin with the power of the Holy Spirit. To live effectively, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. We will stumble if we look away from him to stare at ourselves or at the circumstances surrounding us. We should be running for Christ, not ourselves, and we must always keep him in sight. When we face hardship and discouragement, it is easy to lose sight of the big picture. I know this, but we are not alone. There is help. Many have already made it through life and during far more difficult circumstances than we have experienced. Suffering is the training ground for Christian maturity. It develops our patience and makes our final victory that much sweeter. These readers were facing difficult times of persecution, but none of them had yet died for their faith because they were still alive. The writer urged them to continue to run their race just as Christ did not give up, neither should they. Who loves his child more? So this is talking about 12, 5 through 11. The father who allows the child to do what will harm him or the one who corrects trains, and even punishes the child to help him learn what is right. It is never pleasant to be corrected and disciplined by God, but his discipline is a sign of his deep love for us. When God corrects you, see it as proof of his love and ask him what he is trying to teach you. 
you know, this hits me as a parent because I'm constantly telling my children, you know, I discipline you because I love you. If I didn't discipline you, then I feel like I would not be doing my job as a mother. And while it's very hard for my children to understand that at the time that I'm disciplining them, you know, eventually they end up seeing the fruit from that. And it is. It's because I love them. It's because I want to protect them. It's because I want to guide them. It's because I want to raise them right and make sure that they become the individuals that not only I want them to become, but the individuals that God may want them to become. You know, it is my job to discipline them and to correct them and to love them, no matter how hard that may look. And that is the same thing that God does to us because he is our loving, heavenly, perfect father, and we are his children. Okay, um, commentary for 1211. We may respond to discipline in several ways. One, we can accept it with resignation. Two, we can accept it with self-pity, thinking we really don't deserve it. Three, we can be angry and resentful toward God. Or four, we can accept it gratefully as the appropriate response we owe a loving father. Because my opinion, the reality of this discipline is if our father decides to discipline us for something, to open our eyes, right? There's nothing we can do about it. We can't change his mind. So we might as well accept it gratefully and still continue to cling to God in the midst of it so he can help us better understand what we are going through and so he can strengthen us to overcome. All right, Hebrews twelve twenty eight. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So I wanted to include that Bible verse um, just because, you know, sometimes it is hard to worship God. Sometimes it is hard to accept our reality. Sometimes it's hard to understand God and understand why he allows certain things to happen. But it's not our job to understand him. It's not our job to try to figure out why he allows certain people to go through certain things. Because the more that we continue to question him and question his ability, the further away we pull from him. So instead of doing that, you know, we need to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because that changes our mindset and that changes our heart posture and makes us look at him and all instead of doubting him. All right, Hebrews 13, 1 
through six. And we are going to end this podcast with these verses and commentaries. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I love that. Love that. When you need a good, strong encouragement, just keep rereading that. Keep rereading Hebrews 13, um, 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Okay, let's talk commentaries. For 13.2, three Old Testament people entertain angels without knowing it. So one, Abraham in Genesis 18.1. Two, Gideon. You can find that in Judges 6.11. And three, Manoah, Judges 13.2. Some people say they cannot be hospitable because their homes are not large enough or nice enough. But even if you have no more than a table and two chairs and a rented room, there are people who would be grateful to spend time in your home. Are there visitors to your church with whom you could share a meal? Do you know single people who would enjoy an evening of conversation? Is there any way your home can meet the needs of traveling missionaries? Hospitality simply means making other people feel comfortable and at home. How can we learn to be content? So going through 13.5, strive to live with less rather than desiring more. Give away out of your abundance rather than accumulating more. Relish what you have rather than resent what you're missing. See God's love expressed in what he has provided and remember that money and possessions will all pass away. I love that. The commentary says that you can see Philippians 4.11 for more on contentment and 1 John 2.17 for the futility of earthly desires. We become content when we realize God's sufficiency for our needs. Christians who become materialistic are saying by their actions that God can't take care of them. Or at least that he won't take care of them the way that they want. Insecurity can lead to love, to the love of money, whether we are rich or poor. The only antidote is to trust God to meet all our needs.
joy friends that is it for today's episode i hope that you are feeling refreshed and encouraged and now you have all the faith to tackle on your day and the rest of the week i hope you guys have an amazing tuesday and i will talk to y'all on thursday bye